HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program is brought to you by the Dairy Farm Families of Wisconsin, the Wisconsin Milk Marketing Board. Did you know that today Wisconsin produces more than 600 varieties, types, and styles of American, international style, and original cheese that win more awards than any other state or country? To learn more, visit eatwisconsincheese.com. I'm Linda Palaccio, host of A Taste of the Past. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Hello. This is Diane Stemple. I'm cutting the curd on heritageradionetwork.org. Today I'm interviewing Claudia Lucero, author of One Hour Cheese. Hi, Claudia. Hey there. How are you doing? I'm great, thank you. How are you? I'm very good. Got here in the snow, uh, but uh, it's okay now that I'm here. (laughs) Anyway, so um, I want to tell people your, your book is a step-by-step recipe book to help even the most easily intimidated chef to make cheese quickly at home. Welcome to the show. It's it's a very interesting book. Thank you. I'm glad you liked it. So I'm wondering what happened first for you. Did you love cheese? Did you make cheese? Were you teaching others about food? What's your cheese history? Yes. So really, it's a kitchen craft history. Mm-hmm. Cheese happens to be one of the things that I made from scratch in my kitchen, but I was, you know, pickling and making sauerkraut and all kinds of difficult things, kind of blending cocoa beans and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when I, when I hit on cheese, I just kind of knew this is something other people don't know how to make and I need to help them learn. Uh-huh. So that's kind of how it turned into kits. And uh-huh. then the kits eventually turned into a book and classes. So first you made kits to help other people make cheese, and then then came the book idea? Yes, because the the supplies were actually pretty difficult to find back when I was teaching myself. Right. And so I thought, oh, boy, you know, it's so easy once you have everything you need. What if I help people gather everything in one little box and 
created a simple recipe, kind of cut out mm-hmm. the unnecessary steps that I kept finding and running into. Yes. And so I just simplified and simplified and simplified and then turned it into this online Etsy business, a mm-hmm. little shop where I first launched a goat cheese kit, a mozzarella and ricotta kit, and a paneer and queso, queso blanco kit. And okay. I did that for a couple of years. Uh-huh. Now, the- and along with that, I taught classes. Uh-huh. Where did you teach? Um, there's a community college here called Mount Hood Community College, and then there was a really neat program in Portland called Urban Growth Bounty mm-hmm. that was just meeting at a middle school and at little farms and things and teaching, you know, chicken keeping, organic gardening, mm-hmm. uh, and cheese making. Yeah, what, so those would, were sold out for years. Great. Would be a, would it be a one night course or a many? Yes. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, people could could sign up to learn all the different cheeses, but they would sign up one by one, and, you know, we were in there for an hour and a half to two hours, and they would get to see these cheeses created from beginning to end, which Mm -hmm. was just pretty (laughs) Mm mind-blowing. Not something people expected. Right, right. Um, So the book's history, was the book your idea? Did you convince the publisher, or did they find you? I was super lucky in that they found me, and a book idea was sort of generating organically just from me teaching classes and answering the questions that I did with my cheese kits. But in the classes, people would come up afterwards and say, okay, you know, but how do I, where do I go from here? What Mm -hmm. do you recommend a good book? And I did know a couple of good books, but unfortunately, out of, you know, 75 to 200 recipes in the book, uh, one or two would be for simple cheeses that they felt they could tackle at that level. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I just kind of kept thinking, we need a true beginner's book, mm-hmm. and we need a lot of photos because they were attending my classes, which were, you know, very simple cheeses, paneer and ricotta, mm-hmm. super easy. But I think people really enjoyed seeing the steps and right. seeing if the curd is right, what does whey really look like, what's normal. Right. And so I, I thought, we need a cookbook for cheese with tons of photos. Yes. So it was sort of developing, but mm-hmm. then I got lucky in that Workman Publishing heard about me through a couple of different um, places and then eventually came my way and said, hey, you know, and what the, would you do if you did a book? <laughs> and they're the kind of publisher that likes this sort of stuff. Yeah, they've been so great to work with. Yeah, it makes I sense. I got super lucky. Mm-hmm. Now, what did you think you would become when you were younger? <laughs> it's funny. I, I don't, you know, for a while I wanted to be a teacher, just uh-huh. like an elementary school teacher. So okay. I do still feel like I'm teaching, right? Uh, which is great. But, but I you get to teach grown-ups. So What's the, that? now you get to teach grown-ups who are probably much more agreeable. Well, I don't know about that, actually. (laughs) Kids are pretty fun and agreeable up to an age, you Uh know. So you wanted to be a teacher. Anything else? Um, I danced a lot. I Mm -hmm. did modern dance and ballet, but I didn't enjoy performing, so I knew I couldn't really go on to do that kind of thing. Okay. Um, But some sort of art, you know, Mm -hmm. movement, which I'm still doing. So, you know, you kind of, as you grow older, you kind of start realizing, okay, well, that interest is going to make me money, and that interest is going to be just for me. (laughs) Right. Right. I never, ever expected I'd be making cheese, but it does feel pretty natural for me to be making something and teaching people how to make it as well. Now, how often do you make cheese at home for fun, or or do you have to do it so much for work that you don't do it for fun anymore? 
Well, I do do it for fun, thankfully. Uh, right now I'm testing uh, non-dairy cheeses, so that's my current passion. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's always something that I'm testing. Um, and then because I do demonstrations and classes and I'm doing the book tour, I'm constantly making cheese either for a photo shoot or an event mm-hmm. or a tasting. So, yeah, two times a week, three times a week okay. sometimes. Yeah. How long did it take you to write the book? From start from when once you started with Workman Press to end. Yeah, the well, the proposal itself took about six months, and then the book itself took about a year and a half. Mm-hmm. What were and the- that's that's because the photos were also in house with my partner Jeff, and so that takes a long time because you're there live making cheese, and then technology has to cooperate. Right. You know? <laughs> I was wondering about that. I was wondering, one of my questions was, are, are those your hands in the photos? Is that you they making are. the cheese? Yeah. Okay. Yes. Yeah. And so um, I want to tell people who haven't seen the book yet, it, it's like every step is photographed, right? Almost. Yes. yes. So it Painstaking. is. Painstaking. <laughs> yes. Yes. So could you, would it take many times making one cheese to get all the photos necessary for that one recipe? For most, I was able to do it in one run. And -hmm. if we redid it, it was a combination of, you know, the cheese didn't look quite as nice as it could. And Mm -hmm. the photos, we weren't super pleased with them. So I think we did two over again. One was the mozzarella. Mm -hmm. I can't remember the other. Yeah, but we were we were pretty good. The cheeses, these cheeses are pretty forgiving. Um, and you know, same with photos, it may not, uh, be the most tender cheese, but for the photo, it looks great. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so right, right, right. A little different than if I were doing it for a tasting. Well, that's true too, because, you know, it didn't have to taste good. It just had to look good. Exactly. <laughs> In a class, it has to do both, right? Little tricks, right. <laughs> what, um, so the photos were the hard part, would you say? I would say, yeah. Mm-hmm. I thought the writing would be difficult, but turns out I have a lot to say once I get down to it. Um, and so we had to really edit down because I, I, you know, had a novel on my hands in the beginning. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And editing was new to me, so it had its own challenges, but I found it to be super fun mm-hmm. and rewarding um, just because, you know, uh, Megan made me sound so much better than I originally wrote. <laughs> <laughs> it's really neat. Um, what was left out of the book? Did you leave a few recipes out or a few um, important parts that you wanted to put in there? No, I think just in the introduction, I cut out a lot of um, backstory that just in the end absolutely wasn't necessary. So just a lot okay. more embellishment, you know, on my childhood and what I made with my grandma oh, and all okay. that kind of stuff. Okay. More of a life story. <laughs> okay, okay. The tone and the voice of the book is so homey and encouraging and so friendly. Was that your original idea or did, is that your teaching voice? Yeah, that's so funny. It's not an idea or anything that I honed. It's just how I write. That's just what comes out. And I think it is exactly how I teach classes and, you know, record videos, anything. That's Mm -hmm. just my talking voice. Yeah. Mm -hmm. What, what I found amazing is in, in the one of the first pages of the book in the introduction, you stop and you insist that the person go to the store and buy some milk and make some cheese before yep. <laughs> proceeding. And 
I didn't do it. I hate to admit it, but I really felt like I should and that I wanted to, that I really Uh wanted to. And that if I had bought the book to make cheese, I certainly would have. Oh, neat. Do you think a a high percentage of your readers will stop and, and make that first cheese? It does seem that way because I get a lot of emails, people saying, I tried the first timer's cheese and thank you so much. Um, and it does seem that that is that little jump in encouragement that they need to see that the rest is possible. And yes. that was my goal is, you know, if you are skeptical, stop right now, make this really simple cheese. You're going to have a snack within half an hour. It's yes. going to blow your mind. And then they're going to get hooked. <laughs> it was a, it's a wonderful hook to get, yeah. to get people to Thanks. actually go do it. And to get yep. over your resistance. I mean, I, right. I, I thought it was a stroke of genius. Thank you. And also to realize that, you know, you don't need to buy a bunch of special supplies and equipment. Mm-hmm. Uh, you probably have all this at home right now. And so how about we just try it now? Right. <laughs> <laughs> with that lilt, with that, yeah, come on, it's easy. We can do this. Yeah. It'll be yeah, fun. Yeah, let's see what happens. And then you can eat it. You know, this is like, and it. <laughs> right, which is the best part. Right. Um, gratification. Another part that I really loved was um, on the wood boards, how you, uh, for on the front of each chapter, she has um, a checklist, easy, easier, and easiest for the recipes. Yes. <laughs> Yeah, and that came about because, you know, that's you'll often see that in in cookbooks and kind of these step-by-step sort of books. And so my editor, I think Megan, asked me at some point, you know, we need to do some sort of level thing. And I thought, well, they're all supposed to be for beginners. Mm -hmm. But then once I really sat down and thought about it, I I thought, okay, there is an order to these. Some are more challenging than others for, you know, whatever different reasons. Right. And so... So it was sort of a placeholder to call them easy, easier, and easiest. But then Mm -hmm. it just, we liked it and it stuck. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I love it because, I mean, that means the hardest is called easy. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Um, And then you also have, this was another stroke of genius, you have biggest pain. In the the lead up of the recipe, she's got, once she clarifies, quantifies it as easy, easier, or easiest. You have some, you know, what you need to have. And and then one of the categories is biggest pain, where I guess you write, this is the challenge of this recipe. Exactly. And, you know, the way that I read cookbooks and prepare myself to make something out of a cookbook is I scan it really quickly to see if it's going to ask to put the dough in the fridge for yeah, an hour yeah. or, you know, separate the egg whites and then fold them in. That kind of thing. I kind of want to get to the nitty gritty of like, do right. I have it in me to make this right now? <laughs> right. What's what's gonna? What am I gonna regret later? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I don't want to get halfway through and go, oh no, what did I get myself into? Right. So I just wanted to put it out on the table for people. Yes, I think that should be mandatory for right? all future cookbooks <laughs> starting now. I agree. <laughs> oh, I, I mean, I'm going to, like, try to remember when I make recipes, what was the biggest pain of this recipe? Like, yeah, you know, yeah. just so that I'm prepared next time. Because as long as you're prepared, then you can handle it. Exactly. And then, you know, in a lot of cases, the biggest pain here was just squeezing lemon juice and straining out the seeds. So if people look and see that's the biggest pain, wow, I can totally do this then. <laughs> right, right. Okay, it's time <laughs> for us to take a break. 
We'll be back in a few minutes with Cutting the Curd and Claudia Lucero talking about one-hour cheese. Oh, won't you save all your pumpkin pie? Oh, won't you save all your pumpkin pie? Oh, won't you save all your pumpkin pie just for me, girl? Please don't give none away. Let it get sweeter. You are listening to Pumpkin Pie by the California Honey Drops. Won't you save it? Oh, won't you save it all for me? Dairy farm families of Wisconsin and the Wisconsin Milk Marketing Board are proud to underwrite Cutting the Curd on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Wisconsin cheeses have an illustrious heritage of more than 170 years of quality and craftsmanship. During this long and rich history, the art and science of cheesemaking have been captured in time-honored traditions that produce cheese varieties of unsurpassed excellence. Today, Wisconsin produces more than 600 varieties, types, and styles of American, international style, and original cheeses that win more awards than any other state or country. To learn more, visit www.eatwisconsincheese.com. Hello, this is Mark Ladner from Del Posto, and you're listening to Heritage Radio Network. Hi, we're back on Cutting the Curd. I'm Diane Stemple, and I'm talking to Claudia Lucero about her book, One Hour Cheese. Hi. Hi there. So anyway, I have a bunch of little questions that sort of came okay. up as I was reading the book. Um, what do you think are people's reservations about making cheese at home? I think they're afraid it's dangerous that, you know, um, you have to bleach your kitchen, you mm-hmm. have to use raw milk, and then mm-hmm. you might poison yourself. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> so <that>. truly dangerous. <laughs> <laughs> right. What? Yeah, so with this book, I wanted to make it super clear that although, you know, making aged cheeses, you do have to control molds and you do have to keep everything squeaky clean with these cheeses that you can make in one hour it's no more dangerous than making a pot of soup a pie mm-hmm. just mm. pasta anything you would in your kitchen you just keep it clean and you're fine hmm. yeah that's an interesting perspective now um what do you think is a frequent uh gateway cheese not if someone didn't read your book Yeah, I think ricotta. Often Mm -hmm. I'll ask people, have you made cheese? And they'll say, oh, just ricotta. Uh Yeah, I know that that's the one. Okay, so they don't think that one's so scary. No, no. At least not the crowds, you know, where I'm doing my demonstrations, say, like in a Whole Foods market or a nice cheese shop or something, maybe where people already appreciate um, good food. Mm -hmm. Um, So I'm not sure if that's true in general population. Okay. Now, um, at one point in the book, you... You say that you don't usually recommend for the home cook or the easy home cook uh, animal rennet. Can you talk about that a little? Yeah. Um, there are a couple of reasons why I don't like it. Um, one is it's highly perishable compared to the vegetarian rennet tablets that I use. Mm-hmm. Um, and I find the tablets to be much easier for uh, measuring. So. Mm-hmm. With all of my recipes, I just say either use a quarter of a tablet or half a tablet, and okay. the tablets are scored. You just chop them with a sharp knife, and you're ready to go after you dissolve it in a little bit of water. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And then the other reason is often nowadays we all have a mix of friends. And so if you make a cheese platter and you have some vegetarians coming over, they will not want to have the cheese made with animal rennet. Right. Um, and so then you make it with the vegetarian rennet. Everybody can eat it. Mm-hmm. So I just have always preferred it. And then because I used it in my kit, since it's not really perishable at room temperature, mm-hmm. it just became what I use most frequently. And I just really know it by now okay. and recommend it. Are there any cheeses that you make at home that you would uh, purposely try with animal rennet or you prefer the taste that happens with animal rennet or do you not see a difference at all? You know, I don't venture into testing with it much because ultimately what I'm doing is so that I can share it with people. Okay. Um, And one of the main ways that I share it is through kits. And so I just kind of feel like I don't want to paint myself into a corner using a product that I'm going to have to keep refrigerated, worry about shipping it and during summer and all that kind of stuff. So you're kind of doing what you're doing and not wanting to mess around with something. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Something else. Maybe I'll find that I need to because the claim is is that vegetarian rennet can give you a bitter taste with aged cheeses. Right. so, yeah, so it, I might end up having to do it, and that might end up being just for my own use and right. fun. Okay. Now, what about, um, can we talk a little bit about the store-bought milk? Do you sure. favor stores? Do you favor companies? You don't recommend raw milk. Oh, I do recommend raw milk. Okay. Yeah. Oh, I love it. Um, so, you know, certain states uh, sell it legally in stores and certain States don't, but mm-hmm. a lot of states you can buy them directly or you can buy the raw milk directly from farmers if you go to the farm. It's legal for them mm-hmm. to sell it there. What's so it like in Portland? In Oregon. Oh, okay. okay. You do yeah. it? You get it at the farm? Yes. Yeah, we have um, great friends. You can see them in the beginning of the book, Mike and Linda, um, who have great uh, goat's milk and cow's milk. And so if I'm looking for raw milk, they are my go-tos. And then um, the other recommendation that I give to people is if you can't get raw or just are freaked out by the idea, which I totally understand, Mm -hmm. um, is the most local milk that you can find, even if it's one state over, Mm -hmm. the benefit to that is it's likely to be just plain pasteurized, not Mm ultra-pasteurized, and ultra-pasteurization allows for cross-country travel, a long, long shelf life, but unfortunately that high heat has killed off a lot of what we need in order to... um, have the rennet do its job. Mm-hmm. So you still need your milk to be kind of alive. And, and the way to do that, I've noticed, is to buy it a little bit more locally. Okay. So you would um, prefer local over organic? If you can get both, that's better, and that's right. absolutely possible here. So I mm-hmm. hope it is in other places. Um, and, and so if it's organic and ultra-pasteurized, then it just won't work for a lot of the cheeses. So that's right. the reason... You know, local and plain pasteurized yeah. takes precedence. Some of the organic milks in New York seem to have dates, uh, you know, dates that they're going to go bad that are six weeks out. So that always makes me suspicious. Like, yeah, why, why is the date well, so and far I would away? Avoid those. <laughs> yeah. The yeah. longer the expiration date is from the day that you're buying it, that's how much more pasteurized the milk yeah, is. Yeah, that's what I, I, it seems suspicious to me. Even though it's a good thing that it's not going to go bad, it seems like a right. suspicious thing also. Exactly. Okay, now another thing you said, well, I'm wondering about this. Was there pressure on you 
um, since the title is One Hour Cheese, it was their <laughs> pressure to cut corners to make it in one hour. Like I know at one point you say you can use a double boiler. It's, um, you know, maybe a more careful way, but it will take more time. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. No one has asked that. No, there was no pressure because I think that that's just, I really love a challenge. And so Mm -hmm. um, all of the cheeses that I was already making with my kits were just naturally under an hour. I never called the cheese kits under an hour cheese kits or anything (laughs) like that. They just happened to be. Right. Okay. And so um, I already had this idea when the publisher came my way and asked, what would you do? And I thought, oh, well, cheeses that are made quickly, and then once I started noticing, you know, how quickly they were made, it was very easy to just call them one hour. And this was pretty much a collection of cheeses that I already had, Mm -hmm. and and also, um, rather than cut corners for the book, I think I cut corners always. Okay. And so, what I was telling people with that information was more, if you want to, you know, if you're not concerned about time, and you want to do it these other slower ways. Okay. Um, you know, like not use a microwave. So I think using the microwave is much faster and it doesn't Mm -hmm. affect the flavor of the cheese like it can affect flavors of different foods if you cook them in there. Mm -hmm. Um, So, yeah, no, it was very natural, no pressure. So so the cheeses wouldn't necessarily be better if you slowed down? No, I really have done comparisons step-by-step with the microwave and without the microwave, and I don't detect a difference there. Okay. Um, if anything, the microwave, it's very easy to get a consistent temperature in the curd, and so that might even sometimes be better. Hmm. Um, yeah, and then because you are after a certain texture, so say with ricotta um, or with paneer, etc., um, sometimes it's important to be swift, actually. You don't want curd sitting in hot way for okay. too long or else your cheese will be kind of rubbery. Okay, okay. So it can even be a a good idea. Yeah, exactly. I guess my microwave was broken while I was reading your book, and I was feeling kind of uh, virtuous about having no microwave and very cranky about having no microwave. So it was like, huh, I would need a microwave to do this. (laughs) Yeah, and so I want to make clear, you absolutely don't have to, and it doesn't actually take much longer to use the hot way method, so I would jump right in. Uh Uh-huh, okay. (laughs) Near the (laughs) end of the book, you have a... um, a section of multi-ingredient swap recipes for, <laughs> yes. for drunken fruit and fruit and nut paste and tapenade. Um, have you made all the permutations and combinations? No, not all of the combinations, but so many that I trust that this formula would be just fine. Okay. You know, some things are, I haven't tried them, for example, just because of personal preference. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I don't love... Uh, for example, dry peaches. I much rather use dry cherries uh-huh. or something, but um, that won't affect the formulas at all. Okay. Do you have um, some but, favorites? Yeah, these formulas. What was that? Do you have some favorites? I do. Yeah, I seem to constantly go to the fig um, hazelnut rosemary combination mm-hmm. for the fruit and nut paste, mm-hmm. and uh, drunken fruit. Again, figs, but peaches are really awesome as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and tapenade, I really like tangy, so I really do like the combination of green olives and kalamata olives. Uh-huh. But artichokes are great, too. Mm-hmm. So, 
so much of the stuff is just my favorite food. <laughs> and this is just the stuff that you serve with cheese. Yeah. At your at your classes, will you make cheese and then add some some of these uh, special additions? Oh yeah, we always the classes always include a tasting, and that's where I get to try all my homemade compotes and pestos, and mm-hmm. they get to try you know whatever it is I'm coming up with at the time. So <clears throat> kind of fun. I haven't taught people to make those yet, but that'll be a nice addition to upcoming classes. Right, or you could have a class and make three different things. Yeah, uh, to that would go. Be super fun. Yeah, yeah. Now tell me about the vegan cheese. Oh yeah, so the vegan cheeses. Since I've made these cheese kits back in 2009, I promise that once a week, twice a week. I get questions on if you can use the cheese kits but replace the dairy milk with soy milk or almond milk, et cetera. Um, uh-huh. And you can't. Unfortunately, it's just not the it's same It's a different, science. right. It would be a different recipe. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. So that got it into my mind that I need to start working on some. Um, and, you know, I just got so busy with uh, the book and mm-hmm. a bunch of other things that I hadn't prioritize it, but it really is always in the back of my mind that I need to get these other kits out. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, in the last year and a half, I've been experimenting, having friends taste it, having it here at home, mm-hmm. testing the vegan cheeses that are out there already, uh-huh. um, you know, pre-made and for sale to kind of see, you know, what you're going how bad for. are they. Right. Well, <laughs> now this Honestly. is hard for me, and I think most of our listeners are cutting the curd are going to be shaking their heads and saying, don't tell yeah. me about. Oh, but yeah, exactly. <laughs> about... Yeah, but at the same time, just like I said, that all of us have vegetarian friends. Yes. Um, and, you yes, know, and that's we why do. we use the vegetarian rennet. The same thing right. goes for non-dairy friends for whatever reason, whether they're vegan or paleo or just lactose intolerant. Right. I want to, you know, be able to have a nice cashew kind of goat cheese on my cheese butter right. for those people. You're nicer yeah. than I am, clearly. <laughs> what was that? You're nicer than I am. Oh. <laughs> I'd be like, you can't come to my party. <laughs> I just, you know, well, once you're a cheese eater, it's very hard to comprehend people who aren't. <laughs> it, it's true, but sadly, some people just can't digest it. That's so, true. That's true. You know. How good and can so it I taste, think though? I'm in a good position to do it just because I'm going to be so picky. And yes. like I said, I'm testing these cheeses out there that are for sale and just thinking, oh, God, I've got to be able to make something better than that. That tastes like plastic. Oh, know? good. Good. So you're going to make better ones. Exactly. <laughs> have you yet? Yes, I have. Okay. I've got a couple pretty nailed down, so I'm pretty excited about it. And what are you using? What's your base? Cashews, um, and then almond milk and almond yogurt for another one. Okay. And I think you said that um, they're better if they're aged or they're better if they're, they have... Cultured. Cultured, yeah. Yeah. Like that that makes them taste better? Yeah, that's the difference, I think, between simply soaking almonds and putting them in your blender to make a ricotta, which is also handy, you know, for a non-dairy lasagna or something like that. Mm-hmm. But it's very bland, uh, which ricotta, you know, it's, it's somewhat bland. Right. But if you culture um, the almonds or the cashews a little bit, um, and you can culture it with all different things, anything from an acidophilus tablet to some sauerkraut juice, mm-hmm. <clears throat> anything that's sort of alive and bubbling, 
mm-hmm. and, and let that um, eat the sugars a little bit, there's going to be a resulting tang that's mm-hmm. natural and isn't lemony because so, you would be able to detect lemon. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and then you get more complexity. And, and then, then you the have happens if you age for a little longer. Then you sort of have more to work with. Exactly. Okay. A little bit more cheese-like flavor too. <laughs> okay. And would you find that you would do um, use additives more with the vegan cheeses? You said flavorings. Uh, am I have flavorings. More flavorings. Like Sorry, flavoring. One more time? Flavorings. Flavorings. Oh, yeah. I you know, think like that that's, dill or... That, you know, if you're truly trying to fool somebody or really kind of get the naysayers <laughs> to have a bite, <laughs> I would say, you know, some chives and some dill aren't going to hurt. Right. But those are going to be things that people would add at home, and I would give variations and ideas. Um, but as far as the kits, you know, it'll be just simply what's going to create the, the scientific reaction for the flavor. Okay. Okay. Well, good luck with that. That's a, a, a an admirable project. Someone's got to yeah. do it. Well, it's I want quite an undertaking. Yeah, <laughs> I want to thank you for joining me on Cutting the Curd. It's been great to talk about your book with you. Thanks, you too. Okay, this is Diane Stemple saying goodbye to Claudia Lucero, whose book One Hour Cheese is an excellent, encouraging book to for all home cooks. And I'm on heritageradionetwork.org, and I'll see you at the end of the month. Bye. Thanks for listening to this program on heritageradionetwork.org. You can find all of our archive programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore radio. You can email us questions anytime at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a 501c3 nonprofit. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.